This morning, we looked at how Jesus himself worshiped and kind of what that looked like uh, from the several times that we have that he worshiped throughout the Gospels. In this video and tonight, what we're going to take a look at is what Jesus taught about worship. Um, we're we're going to some of this is going to overlap in what we looked at this morning, but we're going to look at the what he said, both in speech, but also in his actions. And we're going to see something very interesting that that starts to to make a little bit of a transition, but uh, I'll point that out whenever we get there. So let's take a look at where we started even this morning as well, and that's John chapter 4, and Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, but he gives us a lot of insight into what it means to worship the Father, and something about Old Testament worship and Jesus. There's a lot we can learn about it from this passage. So John chapter 4, verses 21 through 26. Within this conversation, we read this. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So in John chapter four and in this conversation, we really get a lot of insight into what's going on. And we see that there is a bit of a transition that's taking place. And we also, it's important to notice that this isn't a Jewish woman who is having a conversation. This is a Samaritan woman. So this hope and this expectation of the Messiah, we see in verse 25, this woman, this Samaritan woman, she is expecting the Messiah. She's waiting for the Messiah. And she has faith that he's going to explain everything to us. Little does she know that she is speaking to the Messiah. I mean, you know, could you imagine the look on her face whenever she realizes that all these hopes that her and who knows how many generations before her has been hoping for the Messiah to come. And she has the Messiah right in front of her and is having a conversation with him. But we see there's a lot of insight as to the things that Jesus says. Jesus says that things are going to be changing. He says, you know, she asked a question about 
really, it's something that divides the Samaritans and the, the Jews. That is, where do we worship the Father? And the Samaritans said one place, the Jews said another place. But then he just looks at her and he says in verse 22 that you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And he made this kind of distinction, but yet also was kind of bringing her into it in the next verse too. But he made a distinction between the two of them. And he says, you know, you Samaritans, you don't really have it right. Salvation is from the Jews. The Messiah was going to come from the Jews. Everyone knew that. That was recognized. Even the Samaritan woman recognized that, that the Messiah is going to come from the Jews. So while he was making that distinction and a bit of separation in verse 22, what he was really getting her to recognize is, yeah, the Jews are worshiping God perhaps in the right place, but, you know, things are going to be changing. He says that a time is going to be coming, and really it has already come, whenever the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. Those are the types of worshipers that our Father is seeking. And I hope that describes us. I hope it describes us today, right here and right now, but I hope it will continue to describe us tomorrow and the day after. That's what we are called to be. That's what Jesus himself is calling, not just the Jews, you know, his own brethren. He's not just calling them to worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's also calling Samaritans into that. And while he did make that distinction in verse 22, he brought them all together in verse 23 and said, look, a time is going to be coming whenever we can all be true worshipers. And if we're going to be true worshipers, we're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is one big teaching that Jesus had. He also clearly taught in verse 26 that he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the one who's going to be changing things. He's the one who is doing something special in their midst. But now we also start to see that there's still more that Jesus is going to proclaim. In fact, if we look, not this time at John 4, but let's look at Matthew chapter 4, and we see something else from a different conversation uh, that Jesus has with someone else. This time, Jesus is not talking with a Samaritan or even a person. This time, Jesus is talking to the devil himself. This is what we typically know as kind of the, the testing in the wilderness, the 40 days uh, and all whenever Jesus spent in the wilderness. This is one of those tests. Matthew chapter 4 beginning in verse 8 and going through verse 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So here in this passage, we find out a clear teaching that Jesus had. And a clear teaching was, you shouldn't worship the devil, okay? He's, the devil is trying to get him to worship him. He says, if you bow down and you worship me, I'll give you all these things. I'll give you everything that is before your very eyes. But Jesus' response in verse 10 is the same type of response that we need to have as well. And that is, it's written. It's been written. And where was that written? That was actually written in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13, that you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says it's not right to worship the devil. It's not right to bow down to the devil. We must worship the Lord our God and only worship him. That's one thing that Jesus made very clear. And that's one thing that obviously Jesus himself did. He only worshiped uh, the Lord your God, 
so to speak. But then we also see something coming up that, that is very interesting. This is kind of something we learned from the practice uh, about Jesus. And that is that there's a, a shift that starts to get noticed whenever Jesus walks here on earth and, and as he does these great things. Because did you know that there's a few occasions in which people actually worship Jesus? And how did he respond? Did he tell them, oh, well, you've got to worship the Lord your God and serve him only? You know, don't worship me. Did he respond like that? Well, I think that what we see is he responded a little different than that, because as you very well know, that Jesus is the son of God, but he is God in the flesh. Well, let's take a look at some of these occasions. First, let's start with one that that we see in this passage whenever Jesus is confronted with the devil. Uh, we find out at the very end of verse 11, angels came and attended him. Well, what about angels and the connection about Jesus? Do they have any interest in, in who Jesus is and who Jesus was and, and what he did? Uh, yeah, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 1 for this. Beginning in verse 1 and going down through verse 6, notice how the Hebrew writer speaks about Jesus, this Son of God. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Isn't that interesting? In verse six, we find out that, that God, what he does whenever he brings his firstborn into the world, it's kind of like he, he sort of stands back and he invites all of the heavenly host, all of God's angels to bow down and worship this firstborn son of him, this son of God, Jesus Christ, who has come in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. That's why he is worthy of the angelic worship that's mentioned right here in verse six. If the angels worship him, being Jesus Christ, shouldn't we? I mean, I believe it just makes sense that if these angels who are described as very powerful beings, if they worship the son, then it makes sense that we could worship the son as well. And we actually see a few different occasions in which the disciples of Jesus did bow down before him and they did worship him. And notice Jesus's response. He actually accepts that worship. Look at Matthew chapter 14. I believe all these examples show us that Jesus Christ is not just the son of God, but he is God. Matthew 14 verses 25 through 33. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down 
Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When you look at this passage, you find out, yes, clearly in verse 33, that they worshipped him. And how did they worship him? Well, whenever they worshipped him, they bowed down to him and they said, Truly you are the Son of God. They recognized he is something great. He is someone great. Something is going on in their midst. That is because the Son of God has stepped in to creation. Quite literally, he has stepped into his creation and he has become a human being. He is worthy of their worship. Also, one thing that I haven't kind of uh, mentioned yet, but in verse 30, uh, Peter actually says, Lord, save me. That word Lord is, is a word that shows up uh, numerous times, even in the Old Testament, about God. And yes, he could just be saying, you know, uh, Lord, save me. But it does seem like he's saying more than just, um, you know, Jesus save me. But he's also asking that God, in the form of Jesus right there, to save him, uh, being one in the same. They worshiped Jesus. And how did Jesus respond? Well, he seems to have accepted that worship. And he seems to have done it a few more times as well. Whenever we fast forward in Matthew's gospel, uh, toward the very end, this is actually after Jesus has already died and after he is raised up from the dead. He's raised up in the very first verse of Matthew chapter 28, but let's keep looking about how people respond to the risen Jesus. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 5 and going on down through verse 10. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran, ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What's the proper response here for these women whenever they see the risen Jesus, whenever they see their risen Savior? What's the proper response? Their response was, they just fell down at his feet and they worshiped him. Is that how we worship? Is that how we worship Jesus? Do we fall down at his feet, so to speak, and worship him? We see that there was there was numerous reasons as to why they would be afraid. In fact, they had to be told several times, don't be afraid. So, you know, sometimes there, there was an element of fear. There was, a, under, there was a, an element of kind of just uncertainty of what's going to happen. Because this had never happened before. You know, someone raising from the dead like this, especially the Messiah. So what does this mean and, and what's going to change in the future? Well, their job was to go and to proclaim this message, this message that Jesus has risen from the dead. And in very many ways, we are like those women as well. Our job is to proclaim that same message to other people. Are they going to listen? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you look at the immediate reaction whenever the women go and tell this report to, to the men, sometimes they didn't always believe. You know, they, they had their own doubts and they wanted to go see themselves what was going on. And even up to the very last time, there seemed to be a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of questioning of what's going on and what's going to happen now. You know, sometimes we have our own questions, don't we? 
But you know, even among those questions that we might have as to what the future is going to hold, we can still, just like the early church and just like these women, and just like the disciples that we're going to notice in a moment, even though they might have some doubts, might have some questions, uncertainty about the future, they still bow down before Jesus, they bow down before their God, and they worship him. A few verses later here in Matthew 28, when we pick back up now in verse 16, we find out about how the 11, these 11 apostles, how they responded. Verses 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. We find out here, just like before, you know, those women, they were told a couple of different times to not be afraid. Well, even here in verse 17, whenever they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And, you know, whenever we look at that, we notice, yes, there still can be some questions among our faith. But our faith still needs to be one that we can worship God in the spirit and in truth. And that whenever we might still have some questions, might still have even perhaps some doubts to a certain degree, at least. We can still worship him. We can worship our Heavenly Father. We can worship his Son, Jesus Christ. Why can we do that? We can do that because he's been given all authority. He's been given all authority. He's been given all power. And he's asked us to go and to proclaim this wonderful message. It's very similar to what's being said here in verse 18. It's very similar to what the Hebrew writer said, remember? Back in verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. All authority has been given to Jesus. The angels worship him, so should we. The women at the tomb, whenever they, they found out that he has risen, they worship him, so should we. And here, at the very end, we see that his closest apostles Whenever they are face to face with him, they worship him, and so should we. And I want to also end on looking at Luke's account of this, uh, uh, pretty much the same occasion right here. In Luke 24, we read this, verses 50 through 53. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So we find out, once again, that Luke, he records uh, the, the details in a little different um, order than what Matthew recorded, and he tells us a, a little bit more about this. This is whenever Jesus himself, you know, ascended into heaven. This is the final time that Jesus spoke with them. And we find out in verse 52 that they worshiped him in this. They, they returned to, to Jerusalem. They had this great joy. This is how the early church responded. They responded by worshiping Jesus Christ, praising him, being joyful, rejoicing over what he has done. And we find out one more thing that, that we're going to pick up with next week. And in verse 53, we see that they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Isn't it interesting that the early church, they stayed continually at the temple? At least his early disciples, that's what they did. 
can we learn something from the early church as to how they worshiped God? And maybe also something about how we should worship God today. We find out from all these examples that Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Let us always remember to praise him for who he is and what he's done in our lives. Holy Father, Holy Father, Holy Father, Holy Father, before your throne I kneel in prayer. Holy Father, Holy Father, Holy Father, Holy Father, before your throne I kneel in prayer. Because I've been baptized by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm working my salvation out. I've been purchased with a price I cannot repay. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, keep me near the cross. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, keep me near the cross. Because I've been baptized by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm working my salvation out. I've been purchased with a price I cannot repay. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, all through the work convict me of sin. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, all through the work convict me of sin. Because I've been baptized by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm working my salvation out. I've been purchased with a price I cannot repay. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb.